So we are here in chapter 41 tonight, Joseph's rise to power. And uh, as you remember, he had interpreted two fellow prisoners' dreams, the cupbearer and the baker. And um, the cupbearer was going to be restored. He said, hey, I'm an innocent guy here. So you know, use your influence with Pharaoh and get me out of here. Totally forgot about him. Just totally forgot about Joseph for two years. And we saw last week as we cheated and skipped on to chapter 41, and it says it came to pass after the end of two full years, or a very long time of anticipation not being fulfilled. I'm sure that Joseph was like a couple of weeks later, and he'll go, man, anytime, anytime, I'm getting out of your hair. Here's my stuff. I'm, I'm leaving. And then a year went by, anytime now, you know. And after two years, I think he had pretty much figured out that he wasn't going to get any help from this guy. Two Proverbs come to mind when I think of this story that we're about ready to look at. One's Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when desire comes, it's a tree of life. You know, going back to the Garden of Eden, taking of the tree of life. It's like, oh, when it finally comes. But hope deferred. Boy, I, I can tell you numerous times how many people have great bitterness towards, especially their dad, but often others in authority who said, yeah, we're going to go to wherever in a couple of weeks. And oh, yeah, in a couple more weeks. And you know, and they go from being six years old to 25 years old, and it never did happen. And, uh, and they, they find scars in their own life from promises made and not delivered. But uh, with Joseph, this is a, a young man we're going to discover tonight. He had turned 30. He was 17 when he first was taken as a slave. We don't know if he was a slave for a year or two, and then he has spent all that time now in prison. But two full years after 11 difficult years. So really, it's 13 harsh learning years for Joseph. But as we will learn tonight, God has a plan for it all. The other proverb is Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. And so we're going to see tonight that all of a sudden, at the right time, hey, Christian, it's all on the notes there. Okay, you got it. And uh, so it's at that perfect time that, that God then does something. And, I, you know, knowing God, I wouldn't be surprised if it was two years to the day, um, that this happened, not just in a, a general sense, just knowing how the Lord works in the Lord's mind frame. But after two years, two full years, that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he stood by the river, and suddenly there came up. We're going to see a lot of these types of words. This was a traumatic moment in Pharaoh's life. These dreams he knew were substantial and important and in his pagan mindset from 
the higher power, God, Ra, whoever it was, um, he had a sense that he needed to know what these dreams meant to act in urgency. So we, we learned many lessons as we look at Joseph's life and how God brought him to where he brought him. And it's really truths that we all learn eventually as Christians. Sometimes the good we do seems unrewarded. You know, that's as Christians, we say, fine, less rewards on earth, more rewards in heaven, right? Number two, waiting is a common theme in the Christian life. The Lord always seems to come later than we expected him. Um, he makes us wait a little longer than we hoped we would have to. And third, God often appoints us to wait much longer than we would like. And God appoints our starts and our stops. Psalms 137, he's hedges in before and hedges in from behind. God's hand was in this thing of Joseph's life, the slavery, the imprisonment, and his exaltation. But when the time was right, the butler or the cupbearer knew exactly where to find Joseph. If he had been released, Joseph had been released, maybe he went back home. This butler wouldn't have known where to find him. So he was right where he left him, <laughs> in prison. He knew exactly where to go find this guy who could interpret the dream. Well, let's move on to verse 2 now. So suddenly, Pharaoh is in this dream. He's by the river. We, we know which river that is, right? The Nile, which is the biggest river in the world for sure. Now, is it the longest river? It, it could be the Amazon is about 35 miles longer if you take the right tributary. But all the other tributaries that come out of the Amazon are all shorter than the Nile. But there is one. Um, but either way, it's, it's definitely the, the biggest uh, uh, and the most substantial river in the world, for sure. So it's interesting that he's by, as the world would be known, he is still standing by the, the greatest river that the earth would produce. And Amazon's a close second or first, depends on how you look at it. But anyway, he's by this magnificent river. And suddenly, there came up out of the river seven cows, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadows. Now, you guys might remember that um, to the Egyptians, we're going to read it later in chapter 36, verse 34, that Egyptians believed that sheep and shepherds were an abomination, they, they did not want to be around that. So if this was to a Jewish guy, it would have been sheep, okay? The rest of the Bible, it's sheep. But to this pagan uh, Egyptian, it's cows, okay? So anyway, then behold, these seven other cows came up from after them out of the river, strange, ugly and gaunt, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the river, and the ugly and the gaunt cows ate up the seven fine-looking and the fat cows. Now, Pharaoh woke up. Now, later, 
starting in uh, verse 16 on, on down, actually verse 14, when he tells Joseph the dream for the second time, he actually says these cows ate the other cows, but yet they were still skinny. So when he, Pharaoh tells the story for the second time, he changes, adds a little bit to it. But isn't that normal? Isn't that normal? I mean, it, again, it, it makes me have more confidence in the Bible, not less. The critics say, oh, look right there. It's told two different ways. If it was told identically, that would make me suspect. But it also seems stupid, literarily, that you're going to give word for word exactly what you said. You probably, if you're going to say word for word exactly the same, you just say, and he told him it exactly as he did earlier. And that's a small verse. <laughs> but he does give it twice, the full details to Joseph personally, and things change a little bit. But, but here, all he did was he saw them, and, um, and, the, and they ate them, and, and, and then Pharaoh woke up. Now, I believe that is a fact that the reason you remember a dream is because you wake up in the middle of it. If you don't wake up, you don't remember it. It's a part of, of something that's it's just sort of factual now. So he has this part one of the dream, and he, and he wakes up. And he slept, and he dreamed a second time. So he woke up a bit startled, had a glass of water. Um, I don't know, had a warm cold of milk. I don't know what he did. But then he went back to sleep again a second time. And then suddenly... There's seven heads of grain that came up on one stalk. That's pretty substantial. That's like, wow, that's out of the ordinary. And they were plump and they were good. And behold, seven thin blighted, uh, thin heads blighted by the east wind sprang up after them. And so it's the east wind, which is, was uh, thought of as an evil wind, versus the north and the south wind. It's an interesting thing in the eastern mind. So it, it, the fact that it was the east wind is saying evil is, is coming. Um, and the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. So Pharaoh woke up and indeed, it was a dream. So the second one didn't even seem like a dream. It, he thought he was actually awake and living this out. And when he woke up, he was very thankful. Oh, it's just a dream. You guys have all had those, right? Right? I mean, we're, you're trying to scream. Somebody's trying to get you, and you're running, and you're trying to scream, and nothing comes out of your throat. Or you're trying to run, and you can't move, and they're catching. And you're like, you know, we all have those horrible kind of dreams. Again, just going back and talking about dreams again, and, and, and I've been around Pentecostal people, which I count myself as one, who, who really prefer some kind of supernatural experience with God rather than just God speaking through the word or through a sermon or through somebody sharing something with you. But as we come to the... Through the Bible, we looked at this last week, that two to one people that had dreams were the pagans. It was Abimelech. It was Nebuchadnezzar. It wasn't the believers. And, you know, just like when Gideon said, hey, let me put the fleece out and this one's wet and the ground be dry and then vice versa. It wasn't because he was spiritually strong. It's because he was spiritually weak that, that God humored him in his little game of uh, dry and wet. 
But again, I've seen Christians say, man, I'm going to do the Gideon thing. And, you know, this is what strong Christian, mature Christians do. And I'm like, no, it's not, it's not right. And in the New Testament, Jesus even said, let's not tempt the Lord your God. Let's not, let's not give God an either or um, edict on, on how he's going to speak to me. I think Hebrews 1 and at the beginning of verse 2 says it best. God, who at various times and various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, have in the, these last days spoken to us by his son. You want God to speak to you? Humble your heart, read the Bible, ask God to speak to you. And he will. Every time he will speak to your heart and confirm that word in, in many, many different ways. I mean, I do want you to raise your hand on this. How many times have you been reading in a place or were teaching in a place and then you turn on the radio and it's exactly where you've been studying the word? How many has that happened to you guys? It's, it's, I've traveled across the world, you know, and I'll turn it on. It's like, what? And then the next guy, the same thing. And the next guy, you're like, okay, God, I'm getting it. <laughs> it wasn't just something I casually read. You are telling me to meditate on this and to, to let you fully speak to my heart in this. I, I love when God does that. Well, verse 9 now, or verse um, 8, excuse me. Now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called all the magicians of Egypt. We'll see them later in uh, Exodus, pretty demonic guys. Um, the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men, and Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who can interpret them for Pharaoh. So it seems like these guys who normally would just sort of make stuff up if they didn't have it for the real, you know, they, they realized if I make something up and he doesn't like it or he, know, he can read me and know that I'm just sort of shooting from the hip, I, I could die here. Uh, can't help you, Pharaoh. Nope, have no idea what that means. End of story. So all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't uh, help the king in this situation. But at that moment, his cupbearer, the chief butler, probably his countenance changed. Blood left his face. He's looking white as snow. I don't know what it is, but it's very clear. And he's looking right at Pharaoh. And he said to Pharaoh, oh, I've remembered a fault this day. I have really blown it. Had I followed through with what I had promised, you probably would have had one of your wise men right now being a guy who could interpret this, but I didn't do anything. He's in prison. So Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker. So it makes it sound like it might have been a different Pharaoh uh, at this time than the one that was originally mad at him. I don't know. We each had a dream in one night, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now, there was a young Hebrew man with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard, and he told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each man he interpreted according to his own dream, and it came to pass just as he interpreted for us. So it happened. He restored me to office, and he hanged him. So, interesting, there were two dreams, similar but different. 
One had a good outcome and the other had a bad outcome, similar to Pharaoh's. Got two separate dreams and they each are similar, but yet they're different. And as we're going to turn out, one's going to be good news, the other's going to be bad news uh, in this situation. And so in verse 14, Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him, notice, quickly out of the dungeon. And he shaved, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. So they made him Pharaoh um, worthy to, to stand before him. So here's another thing to make note. When it is, when it was in the timing of God to give Joseph out of prison, it happened quickly. Often we feel there are long periods of time when God doesn't do anything, but when his timing is right, everything can come together in an instant. David Guzik says, during the times we think God isn't doing anything, he's doing the work most important to him, not to us necessarily, but to God. Developing our character, transforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. And we know Ecclesiastes 3.11 well, right? God does make all things beautiful in his time. Joseph here is a picture of Jesus, just just like Jesus was kept in security, obscurity for a very long time. And all of a sudden, at 30, Jesus comes on the scene very quickly. He is famous. His fame spreads throughout the land. And everybody who's of, of importance says, who is this man? Where did he come from? Isn't he Mary's son? He's a nobody from Nazareth. Isn't, wasn't Joseph, his dad, just a regular old carpenter? I, I'm trying to understand here. How did we get this guy from zero to 100 miles an hour? And the whole nation uh, is, the front page news is about this Jesus from Nazareth. It happened so quickly. The same with Joseph. Unknown, and all of a sudden, everybody knows him. Well, verse 15 there. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it, but I have heard it said that you can understand a dream to interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. So Pharaoh, uh, Joseph had a real opportunity if he was lacking in character to say, yeah, what are the riches I'm going to get? You know, what, what kind of uh, position am I going to end up with? How, you know, how is this going to benefit me? What do I get out of this deal? He could have said, yeah, that's me. I'm the guy, man. I have power. I can have wisdom. I can do a lot of things that nobody else can do. He didn't do that. He simply said, yes, I, I did give an interpretation, but it wasn't from me. It was something God did through me and giving all the glory to God in a very humble fashion. So once again, God's work of character building was being accomplished in Joseph, even when perhaps he thought nothing was happening. And we know Romans 8.28 very well, don't we? We know, we don't feel, we don't often see, we won't see till we get to heaven, but we know that all things are working together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Another verse right after that, equally important, maybe even more important that we often don't focus on as much as we do Romans 8.28 is Romans 8.29. 
For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So God has foreknown and predestined situations in our life that we would never expect. And when they come, they are often very hard and difficult. You know, we've lost our son back in 2013 in a car accident, our youngest, 21. And my good friend, Mike Booker, who has been here and shared pastor at Calvary Chapel Cleveland this last week, his daughter just died. Friday, she was doing great, playing with the kids. Saturday, she didn't feel good. She went to the hospital, was brain dead by that night. 25 years old, is that right, hon? You remember how old? I can't remember right now, but young, just had a baby like five months earlier, her first child. And he's going through that. And uh, I, I can tell you that what that produces in you losing a child, it, it's amazing. I wouldn't want anybody <laughs> to have to go through that. But after the fact, what God does in you is beautiful and wonderful, even though it's incredibly hard. And so with Joseph, I wouldn't want to be a slave. I definitely wouldn't be a, want to be a prisoner with going to prison, being a rapist of an Egyptian in an Egyptian prison. Um, but uh, again, God had a plan, and we see it now in fruition. At 30 years old, he is a very deep man of character. He's a very deep man to give glory to God only. I sure didn't understand that at 30. He was a deep man of humility. And we see a tremendous man of God. As a matter of fact, he's the first guy in the Bible, and there's only a couple past him in the entire Bible, that we see no sin attributed to him. Daniel is another, John the Baptist is another, but, but with Joseph, we see no sin attributed to him, but yet he spent um, 13 of the first 30 years of his life, almost half of his life, either as a slave or a prisoner, and not in any way stumbling regarding to keeping his faith in the Lord. God's going to get us there. One way or another, God has predestined that we will be shaped into the image of his son. And I just say, thank you, Lord. Uh, Proverbs 27, 6 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. You know, often we think of a, a person who's a good friend of ours who will, will be honest with us and, and know it won't count us our friendship, even though what they just said to us was very hurtful. But who's really our friend be above all friends? Isn't it God? And God, our friend, is faithful to grow us through wounds. Also, Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. And again, God sharpening us through trials. Remember, James, let the trials have their perfect work, that you'll be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Hosea uh, of course, the whole nation had sinned, and that's why they were being punished. But it's true either way. In Hosea 6, 1 and 2, Come, let us, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has stricken us, that he may bind us up. 
After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. So literally, it's saying God torn us for the very purpose that he might heal us. God has stricken us for the very purpose that he might bind us up. And if you're familiar with the shepherd, if you have a very stubborn sheep that won't submit, because one sheep jumps over the fence and put, all the other sheep will follow him. And, and if you have a sheep that's a leader sheep like that, stubborn, always wanting to do what it shouldn't do, the shepherd will break the sheep's leg and then bind it up. And he'll carry that sheep until the leg's healed. And typically when you set the sheep down, all the sheep knows now is to stay right next to the shepherd. But if that doesn't work, it has four legs. Um, he will keep at it. And this is the idea, again, that we may live in his sight, that we choose to stay on the hills of our Lord. Well, moving right along here. So Pharaoh, in verse 15, said to Joseph, I've dreamed a dream. And no one's able to interpret it. And in verse 16, Joseph says, not in me, God be the glory. Now in verse 17, on all the way over to verse 25, or all the way through verse 24, um, Pharaoh re-says the dream with a couple of little additions, um, but the identical same dreams. And so picking up in verse 25, Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God, Elohim, has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. These dreams are prophecy of the future. The seven cows, the seven good cows, are seven years of good. Now, in the Hebrew, the word seven is just seba, S-E-B-A, and it's just seven. But when we go on through scripture, um, it could be seven days, seven weeks, seven years. You, You have to figure out the context of it. And the reason this is important, because in Daniel's prophecy of the seven weeks of Daniel, it's really seven groups of seven years. And how do you do that? You go back to the first mention. Where was this seven concept without saying what it was for uh, used in prophecy? And this is it. This is the first time this seven idea is used in prophecy. So, um, the, the, the rule of first mention would say this is where we need to start uh, with Daniel's prophecy, seven years, and indeed it does work. So he said there's sevens of cows, and of good cows, and sevens, uh, that seven means years. And the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one in that one way. And the seven thin and the ugly cows, which came up after them, are seven years. And seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is a thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Indeed, seven years of great and plenty will come throughout all of the land of Egypt. But after them, seven years of famine will arise, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine flowing. 
for it will be very severe. Isn't that true? The seven good years will be forgotten after the very first year of famine. Uh, isn't that the nature of man? You know, you can do so much for somebody and then, then you don't do something and all they remember is that one thing you didn't do. Um, so even though you had this great seven years, they, they don't remember it. They only remember the bad. And verse 32, and the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. It happened two different dreams because he's telling you it's coming right away. And so um, here's, the, here's the difference. And we do need to know this because the Bible contrasts these two a lot, especially in the Proverbs, but in the New Testament as well. The, the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge tells us what is going on, or the data. Wisdom tells you what you're to do about it. Knowledge is the diagnosis, but wisdom is directed to the cure. Knowledge is good and necessary. It just isn't enough. In our day, our world has a lot more knowledge than wisdom. Amen to that? When we got data, uh, you know, galore. Our scientists, poets, politicians are all, the rest are, can often see what the problems are. True wisdom sees the answer, and the answer is spiritual, and typically the answer is Jesus himself. In God's given wisdom, Joseph saw that this great coming crisis needed proper administration. So number one, the problem had to be understood. Number two, the goal and the vision to meet the goal had to be formulated. Number three, the right people had to be put in place, officers over the land, etc. Number four, they had to understand the big vision and their role. Number five, someone had to make sure it was all operating according to plan. Number six, the work had to be measured. Number seven, God would use a man to put all that into place. It wouldn't happen by what we normally think of as a miracle. So the, the, the problem is huge, but the leadership needed, you have probably never seen it happen before. The kind of leader you need is a one of a kind type of person. You know, I think of the book of Nehemiah. Those stones were there for 125 years. For 125 years, Jerusalem was plagued by the enemy. The people couldn't move forward. And how did those stones get stacked up? It was leadership. Nehemiah came in and said, got to get those stones and stack them up. There you go, guys. <laughs> but he didn't, couldn't do it by himself. He, I mean, all the soldiers couldn't do it. Him and all the men couldn't do it. It literally required everybody putting their shoulder to the work. And that was leadership. And he had to explain, this is God's plan. God's going to give us the power, but it's us doing the work. And here's how it has to happen. It has to happen now. It happens, has to keep going. And boy, he had all kinds of difficulties, uh, Nehemiah did, to get that wall built. 52 days, something that didn't happen for 125 years, happened in 52 days when uh, there was leadership. And so it's basically, you got to have a guy that has tremendous wisdom 
Because this isn't something you can learn in a college. This isn't something you could read a book and understand. It's somebody who is innately born into this world with a leadership personality. And he has had to, in many different situations, lead and oversee people, which Joseph did as a slave and Joseph did as a prisoner, right? He was overseeing people and developing and honing those skills for 13 years, uh, from 17 to 30. And he had, again, you're like, oh man, he's just down there taking care of a bunch of prisoners, big deal. It was a big deal. He had to learn how to lead all kinds of different people in all different situations for a very prolonged amount of time. And so um, it is interesting to, to, to contemplate this leadership and what it would take to do that. Well, I think we're in verse 37, right? What, what verse am I on, guys? 37, right? Okay, here we go. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the spirit of God? Again, make a note, first mention in the Bible of God's spirit being in a person. Now we know that it's really not correct, right? This is Pharaoh. We know that in the Old Testament, the only spirit can only come upon people. In the New Testament, after Jesus died and rose again, now people, the Holy Spirit can be in born again people. So this is his explanation. But in essence, what is he looking at here? He is seeing a guy who has a really divine nature, a really unique character in message as he communicates, in knowledge, in wisdom, in humility, And so he is observing God through Joseph's life. Isn't that where we're all trying to get to, right? The world would look at us and our good works and they would glorify God in heaven. That's exactly what's happening here. At 30 years old, he was a divine man of God. He truly was. And that's when, you know, I, I see young people, 12, 13, wanting to be ushers or wanting to lead worship. Or I always encourage it because Jesus at 12 got shut down. Remember? His parents are like, you're just a punk kid. Get in line. We're going back to Nazareth. Shut up, you know? Um, and and, the, and the, the sense was that wasn't God's perfect plan. But Jesus submitted. That was God's perfect plan. Interesting here that the Holy Spirit's come upon Joseph like Samson to have supernatural power. (laughs) It was in very practical things. The divine Holy Spirit was on him just to be a good administrator. You know, so often we, we want to see the Holy Spirit do miracles and raise the dead and walk on water and all of that kind of stuff. But let's not forget, in Romans 12, as well as 1 Corinthians 12, it does talk about the Holy Spirit coming upon, baptizing them in the Holy Spirit for practical things. Oh, yeah, sure, to be apostles and prophets and teachers and miracle workers and gifts of healing and variety of kinds of tongues. 
But let's not skip over the Holy Spirit empowered people for helps and administrations. It tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, 28. So the first time the Spirit of God comes upon somebody and we see it and the heathens see it, it's for helps and administrations. Not to walk on water or to kill giants or to raise the dead. It was simply to be a good administrator. Well, verse 39. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one who is discerning or wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only be regard the throne, will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And I think he's saying this in front of everybody, right? All his cabinet and senators and congressmen, everybody's hearing this speech. And Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. And he clothed him in garments of fine linen, put gold chain around his neck. He had him ride on the second chariot, which he had. And they cried out before him, bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no man may lift his hand or his, or his foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath paneah and he gave him a wife, Asenath, to the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. So he gave him a pagan name, worshiping their gods, um, the priests of On, we, we do know where On is. It's actually about 40 miles from Cairo. It was the prestigious place of worship. The priest there was the most powerful priest in Egypt for many, many generations. So his daughter, he got basically the, the finest woman around with the greatest pedigree around at that moment. Joseph got her as wife. So uh, again, it's, it's interesting that he without any ambiguity at all, gave him all the power and all the authority. Let me tell you, when I've worked with leaders, whether it's in the church or outside the church, and they're trying to delegate things so they can be, make themselves more successful, make their business more successful or the church more successful, often they can relinquish power. But they can't give them the authority because they're too paranoid. And, and there, there really is a point, if you really want to do delegation well, you've got to give all the power and all the authority. And I will be observing, and I may give a couple little uh, directions as I observe, but for better or worse, you have the power, you have the authority to do whatever. You don't have to ask me. You don't got to get permission from me. Make this work better than I could make it work. That's true delegation. And we see that he was over Pharaoh's house. I mean, it's his own, Pharaoh's own personal business. Over all the people of Egypt, his word was equal to Pharaoh himself speaking it. And he was second not third or fourth or fifth, or one of 20. 
He was number two in the greatest kingdom of this time. And Joseph would have authority over all this land of Egypt. It's astounding when we look at this story. I mean, what's, what do we always say? Truth is, is more amazing than fiction. Man can't make these kind of stories up. Uh, but yet this is exactly what happened. But let, let's not say, oh, Joseph got lucky. Or Joseph, man, he, he, he was an overnight success. He wasn't, was he? For many years, he was in God's workshop. He was in God's school. <laughs> and God was developing him. 13 very hard years of his life. Basically, his, most of his teens and all of his 20s, he was one suffering life. And it's also important to note that part of Joseph's story reminds us of the important principle regarding promotion and advancement. In Psalm 75, verse 6 and 7, For exaltation comes neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. David had a similar story to Joseph's. David writes in Psalms 113, 7 and 8, He raises the poor out of the dust. He lifts the needy out of the ash heap, that he may seat him with the princes. Yes, with the princes of his people. It is quite an amazing story that we have here. Well, in verse 46 to the end here. So Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and he went throughout all the land of Egypt. Now in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. So he gathered up all the food in the seven years, which were in the land of Egypt and laid up the food in the cities. He laid up in every city of the food of the fields, which surrounded them. Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting <laughs> for it was immeasurable. They couldn't keep up. So Joseph were born, and to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came with Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, born to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, which means for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. So th this tells us that Joseph was hurting deeply. The rejection of his brothers, the separation of his father, being in this foreign land with these pagan people, it, it was a scar. And he said, maybe that, that scar won't hurt so bad having this baby. And some time went by, and then he had a second son, and he called him Ephraim, which means, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. So that's how he looked at Egypt. I have horrible pain from the toil, and I have horrible, I'm in this land of affliction. So even on his best days, he knew he wasn't in the promised land. Even having the finest of everything, <laughs> houses and clothes and food and prosperity and power, he saw it as a place of affliction. 
So we, we, we get some really deep insights into Joseph. I mean, if we were his psychologist um, and he was, uh, we were going to do talk therapy and have him on a couch, I think him, like most of us, are very wounded creatures. If you sort of come to that, I mean, I, I, talking to people, especially older people, they're like, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I've talked, I remember when I was a pastor, 24 years old, just started pastoring, and this guy in his 70s was coming and just weeping and telling me about how horrible his dad was and how rejected he was and all of the things his dad did, and he couldn't forgive him. And I was 24 years old looking at this guy, and he was looking at me like I was 50 years older than him. That was, that was an interesting wake-up call that as a pastor in that position, people don't just see you with your age. They see you as a figure. And, and, uh, and he really did need to, to forgive. And I, I realized at that point, we are all walking wounded, aren't we? And, and emotional scars don't really heal. Physical scars, we can get, get around those. But emotional scars, we really need our new body. We really need... Like he said here, I, to forget my father's house. We need to just forget this planet Earth <laughs> and get into the new heavens and our new body. And, and so it does seem that even though Joseph was such a man of God, he was a wounded warrior. That's what we see in the naming of both of his sons. In verse 43, then the seven years of plenty, which are in the land of Egypt, ended, and the seven years of famine began to come. And Joseph had said, the famine was in all the land, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, and the people cried to Pharaoh for bread, then Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to the Joseph, whatever he says to you, do. So they did go over Joseph's head at this point, going, hey, we want more food than, than we're getting. And, and Pharaoh said, no, you're not going to do the runaround. You know, kids, they don't get what they want. They answer from mom. They go to dad and ask him the same question. And after, you know, after you've been parented a few months, you're going, did you already ask mom this question? Uh, yeah. What did she say? Well, that's what I also say. Um, and, and of course, it, it is, if, if they, you don't ask that question and you say yes, and you find out later your wife had just said no, then, then you're in trouble with the wife. But uh, anyway, this is exactly right. He gave him power and he gave him authority and he was, testing, he was tested whether he really gave Joseph power and authority, and he proved it. I've given him, I've delegated that to him, and you going over his head is not going to change the answer. Whatever he says, you do it. So the famine was over all the face of the earth, or all the known world around them. I, I, you know, obviously, this is uh, in context of how they viewed the world at that time. So Egypt and all the countries, uh, known countries around them, were all experiencing the same thing. And Joseph opened up the storehouse and sold to the Egyptians, and the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all the country came to Joseph to Egypt to buy grain, because the famine was severe in all lands. And of course, that leads us up to next week, the great story where his family had to come to Egypt to, to get supplies. What do we learn here tonight in closing? Number one, I think we need to trust God in the circumstances that we're in in our life. Man, this is so hard. Is it like being in a prison? Yes, okay. Yeah, it's, it, God does that sometimes. 
But we need to remember in those hard places, it's not because God forgot about us or has no plan, right? He knows every hair on our head. He knows every sparrow that falls to the ground. There is no coincidences in God's kingdom. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and those who walk according to his purpose. So if you're in a difficult time, I would batten down the hatches and ask yourself two questions. Am I seeking to love the Lord my God with all my heart, my soul, and strength every day? Am I living for my purpose or God's purpose? So maybe you're miserable because you're living for your purposes. You're living for earth when you should be living for heaven. You're loving yourself and you're loving the world and the things in this world rather than loving God. Maybe that's why you're miserable. It's not really God working a character in you. It's really you spanking yourself with the wrong focus. Number two, let's be used of God as instruments of his uses. Walk by faith in impossible situations, knowing he is preparing us for divine plans. As we study the story of Joseph, it would be, it should humble our hearts and for us to be able to say, Lord, forgive me for murmuring in the wilderness. Help me trust you even in possible situations that you have your plan is being manifest. And of course, James, let the trials have the perfect work. And notice what comes from that. God says, you can be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. I think the apostle Paul was that guy. He was a man that suffered more than any other Christian, as far as we know. But, but he was a man who walked perfectly with the Lord. He even tells us so. Jeremiah 21, 9, 11, we know that. God's thoughts for us are good and not evil to give us peace, to give us a future and a hope. And of course, later, Joseph will end this book by telling his brothers, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. And the last thing, let God receive all the glory. God's work in our lives by his power, his enabling us, it's his work that he's doing through us. Peter says it the best. In 1 Peter 4, 11, if anyone speaks, if you have to talk, <laughs> let him speak as it were the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies. Why? That in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory and dominion forever and ever What's the last word? Amen. And then finally, 1 Corinthians 1.31, as it's written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Well, we are out of time for questions, but let's jump into prayer and just, Lord, stir us up here this night, Lord. Lord, do a work of grace in us. As we come to this, we know that your mind had us here that your plans, whether we made the plans, it was really you at the end steering the ship. You can even steer a pagan, wicked, sun-worshipping, idol-worshipping king and in an instant turn him like you would a river turning this way and that way. So Lord, we know that your ways are higher, our ways higher than, than we can ever imagine, as high as the heavens are above the earth. And so we humble ourselves before you tonight as we read this true story, not a fable, but a true story that happened that we could know you through it.